This is The 20 with DJ Spider, presented by BeatSource. Welcome to The 20 Podcast, bringing you interviews with the best DJs, producers, and music industry professionals from around the globe. I'm your host, DJ Spider. DJ Spider! That's right. What is going on, you guys? Welcome back. We have got a great episode for you today. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by BeatSource. BeatSource is the new digital music service for open format DJs. We have got a lot of stuff in the works. I just got to preview some really exciting stuff they have going on. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it, so I'll talk about it on the next episode. But stay tuned to BeatSource.com. All types of new things coming. As well as we've got BeatSource link out right now, and it gives you the ability to DJ using the cloud and a million other things. Such great playlists and great music is being added all the time. Go check out BeatSource.com. Thank you guys uh, for giving me the ability to do this podcast for everybody out there. And thank you guys for listening, everybody out there that's helping me build this community. I appreciate it. Let's get into it today. Um, We have got an LA legend. I don't say that lightly. This person is legendary in many respects. Um, But uh, overall, he's hilarious. I mean, not only is he one of the greatest DJs, one of my favorite DJs, he's worked with some of the most amazing DJs ever, you know, come up under some legends like Shecky Green. Stretch Armstrong, Dante Ross, you know, he had a party called Banana Split with Steve Aoki and DJ AM, Uh, so much history, so many stories, and just an all-around amazing human. I had so much fun recording this episode, I was like dying laughing uh, the entire time, and now listening back to it, hearing all the crazy quotes that have come out uh, from this episode is crazy, so... Uh, Without further ado, I'll let you guys listen to this and get to know him a little bit better. Please make some noise on the 20 podcast today for The Mike B. We got The Mike B in the place to be on the 20 podcast. What up, LA? Represent. How you doing? All day. Fantastic. What up? DJ Spider in the house. What up? What up? We DJ Spider literally in the house. This is DJ Spider literally in the house. That's the new name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've not left the house. I've got a couch behind me. It looks weird, and uh, that's been my 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 that's been my setup for like a year at this point. No one's ever sat on the couch. It's true. Was, we have matching we have matching posters behind us too. That's right. That's right. I'm gonna between I'm gonna... between two posters, poster plamp. <laughs> you got to get them up where you can. I like the. I like yours. I just full screened you for the YouTube people. Okay, John Belushi, Blues Brothers poster. Okay, that's. I got a, blue, a Blues Brothers poster and a Mr. Show poster. Mr. Show, my God! I mean, after like, li- did you ever think Bob Odenkirk would be like a serious actor and have his own show oh. after watching Mr. Show? And he has like a Liam Neeson movie that just came out, like a not a Liam Neeson movie, but they just did like, like Taken, but with Bob Odenkirk. What? Or like and John like where Wick, he's getting but pun- with Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, Hunter. he's like being punched in it's the called, face. It's called nothing. It's called no. It's it's called nowhere. Yeah, nowhere it, or nobody. 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 And it's yeah. a, it's about like an old man that's been pushed to the edge or what you know like and 
<laughs> Liam Neeson it, style. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. No, I'm sure it's going to be really good. I actually, he is a a very good friend of mine. He is. He is amazing. He's well, like, like un- very good because he's like unbelievably <laughs> busy. But you right. know, I've known Bob for 25 years, and we talk on occasion, and like probably the last real long talk I had with him was when he's like, yeah, I just got this show on the second season of this thing called breaking bad. Like, have you heard of it? And I was like, no, but I'll go back and watch the original. And then I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) And then, and then he, and then he like, you know, got nominated for an Academy award for Nebraska. Now he's like a real actor, but I worked on, I worked on Mr. Show. You did. I did not know that. That that makes perfect sense. That's your sense of humor. I'm a meme. Have you ever seen the uh, his science is too tight meme? No. Which is like Professor Murder from Mr. Show and his DJs behind him nodding and it says his science is too tight. It's like a popular gif. I'm the DJ behind I'm Professor Murder's DJ. What? All right, I'm using that to promote the show when we post it online. Se- that- season four, <laughs> episode three. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Yeah, that show was so good. I mean, that was the beginning. That was like the genesis of like weird comedy that you didn't have to go to a weird comedy club to watch. Like, you know, like Tim and Eric type abstract, yes. crazy Eric Andre world, but on TV, on well, HBO. Bob, you know, Bob put Tim and Eric kind of in the game. They were doing their internet yeah. stuff and he he produced Tom Goes to the Mayor and then, yes. and then the their show and he's the voice of tim and eric awesome show like all of the like you're watching so and so and like oh, it's yeah, brought right. to you by cinco like it's always him you're right that's crazy i didn't yeah. even think about that uh i forgot i know he's been he's had his hand in so much stuff and i just always looked at him as like one of those funny dudes that when he got on better call saul i was like or breaking bad and then better call saul yeah. like he's a serious actor and he's so good He's incredible. And that was actually the funny thing about that was that when we were doing Mr. Show, the kind of joke amongst the crew was always Bob's kind of like bad acting was what made him endearing. And David Cross was the guy who could like really act and really sing. Yeah. And they were both equally funny. But Bob was always this kind of like over the top ridiculous thing. But he has over the years become like a man of the stage somehow and he's like the best guy in the world so like no one deserves the success more than him and i can imagine little known fact and then we'll probably stop talking about bob odenkirk but little known fact show bob odenkirk (laughs) (laughs) little known fact he was like never has there been like a closer runner up for a gig than bob odenkirk to play michael scott on the office Oh my God! Can you imagine? And, it would have just changed his like, whole trajectory. Two like days trajectory. B- before they shot the pilot, it went to Steve Carell, and it—he was not happy, obviously, because that would, you know, I—I I, I love Steve Carell, but I think it's been proven now, kind of who is a better actor, and uh, and uh, I think Bob would would have like really nailed it but then we wouldn't have had him in breaking bad and he like wouldn't right. be this like academy award winning thing so exactly Life, they bro. would have him in like 
it, yeah, exactly. It, it all was meant to be because it would have him in like romantic comedies and it would have been weird. But you're right. Like Michael yeah, Scott, you know, Steve Carell can't pull off necessarily those serious roles I tried to watch. He's good, but it's different. Like Bob He's Odenkirk good in the morning like, sh- show, I think. I like yeah. him in the in the in the morning show. I mean, I like Steve Carell. But of like, course, he's great. I think we can all we can all agree that he's no Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> no, he's no he's no Bob Oden. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk can do anything. You're right. He's like the best at comedy, serious, like any voiceovers. <laughs> Eric Andre. Well, you got to realize right. he was a writer on Saturday Night Live, like dating back to the early '90s. Like, wow. like he's a he's quite quite a guy. He's Bob amazing. Odenkirk, DJ Bob Odenkirk. DJ Bob Odenkirk coming up on the next podcast. He was always very, I can actually say that in no, you know, to bring it home, I can say that in no small part um, was Bob Odenkirk instrumental in encouraging me to follow my DJ aspirations. And when I worked on Mr. Show, he had me play a DJ in the show and then when we had the rap party it was like one of the first gigs i ever had i was 18 and he like let me dj in front of everyone for the first time and i was playing like sound bites for a mr show on a cassette over like beastie boys instrumentals and stuff and he was like i have a cassette recording with him being like mike brillstein kick-ass dj like and if you watch the mr show season four with commentary he brings it up. Like when I show up on screen, he's like, he's like, look who it is. Mike Brillstein. He's like, I don't know if the rest of you guys know, but like he actually went and became like a successful DJ. And then David Cross is like, yeah, nobody cares. Like, let's go back to talking about whatever we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. That's so dope. Okay. That's a good way to end the Bob Odenkirk conversation. So, for all of you just tuned in, uh, this isn't the Bob Odenkirk podcast, but uh, we're both two guys that grew up in L.A. and do have a lot of interesting, weird connections to all types of people. I feel like that could be the whole show of us talking about, well, I actually knew this person growing up or this or that. Sure. You know, I um, I mean, like I went well, we on. Both, we both grew up in the epicenter of, of a lot of stuff. The fact that exactly. you. Exactly. New the fact that you knew Star Eyes in high school is always so impressive to me because she was such a big deal. I mean, how crazy is that? So, so shout to Star Eyes. Uh, she, you know, I think I must have been fifteen years old, and I would go to her house, and she was a, a drum and bass and jungle DJ, and really. I mean, my friends, you know, I got into it from being in raves and learning from my friends, but she put me on to so much stuff, and really showed me about mixing drum and bass records together and like some of those things. Well, not even just a drum and bass DJ, but I think stateside, besides Reed Speed, she was like the drum and bass DJ, female or not. Like she was just one of the illest. And like, because there weren't a lot of girl DJs in general or drum and especially in drum and bass, all of the raver girls idolized her so much and so like having that star eyes tape was like a woke good look like when we got back to my house at the after party I'd be like oh you have star eyes like it's on you know like <laughs> i'll <laughs> like, make out like, it, was like, it was like it was like mark farina's cool doc martin's cool it's like put on this star eyes and like let's split one you know 
Oh my god! And I split one. Uh, she took a half. I took a whole. Uh, the that's crazy. Uh, yeah. And at the time, I mean, we were in high school, so like, I don't even know. I don't know if she was at that d- doing that. You know what I mean? Like at that level per se yet. Uh, right. But it was, it was like high- the late nineties, right? Because like I, my first Star Eyes tape is like ninety six or ninety seven. Yeah, no, this was this must have been 92, 93 probably time. So Oh, that early. Yeah, like okay. she, we were just in I her didn't place and she was showing me these records and I mean, I think drum and bass was just beginning. Like it was like going from Drum breaks. and bass starts in 1993. Right. So that's why I at the time I was listening to breaks. You know, like just so yeah, people yeah. know we were like uh, I guess yeah, we're both from the rave world in in LA from in one form or another and uh probably both lived the closeted hip hop DJ raver life where like I remember real going thing. to fat yeah like I remember being super into hip hop and drum and bass and then going to meet like cypher sounds at fat beats in new york and he's like you into that whack jungle drum and bass shit and everyone's making fun of me and i was like okay i'm just gonna retreat yeah. and i'm like no nah, i don't really like i had it that a similar much. experience because i met like junior sanchez and todd terry and armand van helden like through lord sear and stretch and when i was like oh you don't understand i'm like a huge fan of these guys and they were just like why you know like it was like a well like obviously stretch had appreciation for todd terry you know but like right and sear sear was on armand's album but he was just like it was more just like you have this i'm like no like all these records behind me is like all them and they're like well when do you get it like when i leave on my lunch break i go to like satellite and I shop for house records that I'm not playing in clubs. <laughs> Crazy. Oh my God. Yeah, that that was exactly that was well, like. Well before first the internet, there wasn't time to explain like electronic music culture to like guys from Queensbridge, you know? Like it was just like yeah. you just there there was no it was just like that's yeah. not what we do and that's for other kinds of people and yeah. Yeah. And it was that record store mentality of like I'm you're whack. I'm dope because I'm standing behind the turntables in the record store, or you know, whatever. You're yeah, one year yeah. younger than me, so like you suck. Well, but like they were the exact same kind of guys. Like the people behind the counter. Well, oddly enough, the guy behind the counter at Fat Beats was Ellie Escobar, who is <laughs> definitely a house dude. And right. but it was like it was like eclipse. It was like eclipse. Ill Bill and Ellie Escobar, I believe, was who worked there when I used to shop there. Wow. I don't know if they all worked there at the same time, but over the course of those years. And then, um, but then Satellite had a bunch of different guys and they acted the same. Yeah. But just about different, you know what I mean? Like they treated the underground hip hop the same way as they treated the house. It's just that, like they both believed that the other's music was like not as, yeah. As a, I, you know, I'm not going to put words in people's mouth. I, I think we understand <laughs> no, what we're trying to say. No, but it was just, there was record yeah. store intimidation. I remember going to London for my first record time. Record store like- intimidation <laughs> needs to stop. <laughs> that's we our new movement <laughs> we've done we've done blm and then now we're going we're moving on to record store intimidation yes that's the big <laughs> movement uh the in the second quarter of 2021 we're stopping all record store intimidation yeah i'm I just mean, gonna run around from place to place and be like record store intimidator record <laughs> store intimidator when i was 17 you told me <laughs> that i was whack for not having epmd and people yeah. need to know. 
You know yeah. what, though? That was a good sales tactic. The amount of stuff I bought because the person played it in front of me and acted like it was dope, and I probably didn't even think it was good. And I'd be like, for sure, 10 bucks for that? Okay, I'm going to... I only have a, I have hardly any money, and I'm spending 10 bucks on this horrible record that I never will play again. But I remember being in London that and going is- to, like, Nicky Black Market store, and, like, he was there, and, like, anything they played, I was like, uh, yeah, I'll buy that. And it was like a pack of tapes for $100. I'm like, yes, anything. Uh, you're so cool. You know, it was like, that was a good way to intimidate people into buying whatever the hell. I was just this young kid. I'm like, sure. I did I did that at Higher Source once. And I remember, I think back of it on it all the time. Because Jason Blakemore was in there. It was like, you know, like, if you were the hot DJ, you didn't have to use the listening station headphones. You could play on, like, the turntables yes. of the store and just play stuff. Oh, yeah. So, like... So when it was someone that I loved up there, I would want to hear everything they were listening to. And like, I learned very quickly that it wasn't cool to ask for something that they liked. Cause it's like, Oh, this is dope. I'm gonna buy this. You couldn't be like, well, what's that? Because like, right. then you were buying like I think another DJ was going to play that weekend, <laughs> but I loved him so much that I bought like all of his putbacks. Yes. Because Cause I was like, well, I don't know what these labels are and he grabbed them for some reason. And like, I should know like who these artists and labels are. Cause even if he didn't buy these records today, like for some reason he like gravitated towards these and I, my eyes should be like open to these labels and stuff. And it worked. That's actually how I found out about a lot of labels was from taking Jason Blakemore's like, like 12 putbacks. Yo, that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I guess and, that doesn't exist anymore, that type he, of thing. And to, and to your point about about the spending of the money, I actually think specifically about that whenever, like, funds are getting low, you know what I mean? Just in general in life, and it's like, how am I going to afford a house in 10 years? And, like, how am I going to blow up? I'm like, I realized that back then I only had, like, $200 to my name, and I would spend, like, most of it on records. And like somehow I got by, so I just have to assume that <laughs> exactly that luck will continue to stream my way. Yes, it will. I'm sure it will. You're, <laughs> you're the Mike B. But yeah, exactly. Same. I'm like, how the hell did I afford all of this shit? You know what I mean? Like, what was I? <laughs> it's what true. was I doing? I know. Actually, Killing speaking it. of, tell me. Uh, I well, don't I'll tell know you if, what you were doing. You were it, like listening to drum and bass in '93 before anyone knew what it was. Like, you put. I mean, I that's know. putting in the work, buddy. I should have. I should have just kept with that, you know. I. Uh, you were. I know. You were. You were, a couple, you were a couple years ahead of me, and before I met, I think maybe I had met you once, but I heard your mixtape playing at. I want to say it was called El Scorpion. Um, the like the like tequila bar that was on the corner around the corner from LAX. Uh yeah probably i think and so I was, yeah. and, I, and i was in there and it was like it was like spank rock into it was like the diplo yeah. remix of spank rock like into like three six mafia blend over like baltimore yep. club or something and like all the stuff and i was like like what is this and they were like dj spider and i was like oh this is like someone who understands like hip-hop and dance music in a way that hasn't really been done and banana split was like just starting so i knew that you weren't like you know a lot of people did that like after we started that party but like you right. clearly were kind of already 
on that wave, like just naturally. Yeah, that's so funny. Yes, I think that was probably the mix that I made for the like Mark Ronson BPM magazine Matt Colin uh, contest. It, no, it was it was it was the battle battle of the best or next on yeah. the decks. Yeah, uh, yeah, battle of the best uh, next on the decks. Yeah, <laughs> the battle like, of the best. Is the battle of the best. No, I remember making that mix because they were like, send in a thirty minute mix, and I was like, what the hell do I do? And so I was like, all right, I got to include. Mark Ronson Uwe because he's the judge and I love that song and I do yes. doubles of it all the time and then from there I was like and I'm like he's so into like so many eclectic things I'm gonna play Talking Heads and then I'm gonna play all this dope new Be More stuff I found from this group Hollertronics you know and I didn't even know what it was and yep. Spank Rock and it was like a it was pretty much all that was vinyl so I feel like I played a lot of it off vinyl and all these Talking Heads records I found and and then well, kind I of all those Serato. same yeah. reasons, like a- AM's relationship with Mark and like his connections in Philadelphia and like understanding club music was how we sort of came up with the sound for Banana Split was he's like, there's all this stuff going on and I can't play it at pop clubs and like, um, you know, we want to do those kind of mixes here. So it was probably like, really fortuitous that you made that mix like at that time because like oh. i want to say i met i met you at like one of the first four or five banana splits like when it wasn't that crowded yet yeah no i went to every and, single one like from the begin, the first one i think i went to every single one and someone introduced me to you and steve at the same time and like the secondary outside section like i yes. remember like like they were like this to steve wonder and i was like oh like i love your crazy blend mixtapes with neil armstrong and they were like and this is dj spider and i was like that's the that's the best of the best guy every everyone says you're next on the decks <laughs> so uh show me why you are next on the decks show me what's next here yeah. buddy tell me um, what's yeah. next I know. And it was that but, was such a crazy now, time. But I like yeah. that I can tell you now that I actually when I met you had heard your mixtape at El Scorpion and was really impressed by it. And and like and and then at the time I was just like, uh, oh, you're the good DJ. Because remember like when you're a young good DJ, you're not that stoked to meet like other really <laughs> good DJs that are in the same <laughs> position as you. Like you know what I mean? That's when you're really like trying funny. to get the same gigs, you're like Fuck, like you're as good as I am or better. And like, here we are. So, like, I almost don't want to become your friend because at the time, like, there was only like four gigs a week to get. That is so <laughs> funny. Know? So, it was, I- it was different. It's kind of like, it's like how they said, like, the reason that Biggie is on Jay Z's album is because he heard, like, like, Premier played him like the songs that they were doing for Reasonable Doubt. And he was like, well, either I get on this guy's album or like he becomes my nemesis, <laughs> you know, what? like yeah. this guy's like so good and I'm the best. So like, what the hell? Not that I was thinking I was the best, but I definitely was thinking like you're, you know, incredibly I completely talented. know what you're saying. And that's funny. At the time, I yeah. was so just like new to that world, never been into those clubs, just heard, you know, met AM recently, like all that stuff. So. I was just kind of like in awe of everyone and just like, Hey, I'm glad to be here. Like if anyone wants to give me a shot, you know, and, I, it, and it, it was read yeah. very legitimately. Like you, you 
of all people seemed like you were on a roller coaster like the entire time that you were in bananas like i just remember seeing you like you just were like it seemed like you were just absorbing everything and you were just so <laughs> wide-eyed and like 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 listening to every song and like looking at every single person and like because you're you know you're a musician you're right. so you like you take no, you're you, totally that, you right. take that shit in like, like like you were never in there like scamming you know what i mean like <laughs> you were never in there like like trying to like pull or like creep yeah shit, like the party so like most of the djs that hung out there it was like sunday night night off you get really sloppy try to make out with somebody and like figure out where the after party was at or try to like party with justice or like whatever like you would stay like back up against the wall and just like peep game mad hard and then <laughs> they, you would exactly. see it because then when i would hear you play it would come it would it was clear that you had been like listening to what am was doing you know like yes yeah and, totally and, but, but, but reinterpreting it in a, it was like it's like jazz cats you know what i mean like you go and you check out the other guy and then you and then you, you know that cat sounds like a giraffe taking a sip of water man i'm gonna put it in my horn <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly exactly i mean that's a that's a good way to put it like but that that's exactly yeah. what i was doing yeah i was listening and and i and i had just got on ableton and i was like people are, and the be more stuff it was so crazy to me because i'm like they're making these songs up tempo and and like all this shit you well, know because they just, were up tempo but it wasn't like full like crystal waters like diva house like it was breaks it was think breaks and big like 808 kicks and stuff so it was relatable and you could just take like one line of whatever whether it was like mr postman or in your case like tried by 12 or in steve's case like the leader of the pack like all those things like whatever songs you wanted to have like a banging version of you could just take those little parts and it was like anyone's game because the rules were so of baltimore are so confined Right. Yeah. You exactly. know, so oh, Mr. Like, it's like, yeah. I forgot about the Steve one. You're right. That was, uh, the and Steve yeah, one, now, DJ AM, DJ AM is quoted as saying that that is his favorite Baltimore remix ever is DJ Steve wonders leader of the pack. That's amazing. I <laughs> need Mr. to find that. Mr. Mr. Wonderful leader of the pack. <laughs> yes. He was, he was putting Mr. Wonderful on a bunch of shit. That Steve one was a classic. And then East, yeah, Tried by 12, East, Flash, East Flatbush Project. I remember, like, I loved that record. And I was like, yo. And I was learning how to use the drum rack in Ableton. And I wanted to make it like an MPC. And I was like, oh, if I take that song, I'll chop each one. And I'll go doom, doom, yeah. doom, 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 doom. And I was like, and then I found the like, uh, DJ Ayers. The murderer. Uh, and, like, the rub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the, the rub put out that record like a be more breaks record and cosmo baker yeah. and then like there was a record that had all the be uh -huh. more breaks at the very end and i was like oh yeah. shit that's how they have it so i recorded all those in off record and then figured out how to warp it and loop it and put it in ableton and then i was like oh shit and then i just started experimenting and doing it and i remember being like I so took, nervous I, to play it for anybody i, I sent took it to all AM. mine from uh what was his name simon simon harris the english guy that had all those like breaks records yeah he had yeah. one that just had such a clean banging 
it was just like it was just raw base but he had like clearly like gated it and chopped it up and like put some kind of compression on it and that's what i used for all my old baltimore stuff was like simon harris's think break that's so funny yeah same i I used what i had and just i remember sending it to am like i'm so nervous to send it to him like well he's gonna just be like you suck you know he's always he was very like that was that was a banana split anthem i know he played it like that night i remember going i was like oh my god there was no like i don't think we had cell phones to film things at that point you know so i was just like this is crazy banged in the club and it was on my banana split cd which was like the only ever official piece of like banana split merch wow i did i yeah i forgot about that crazy um that's nuts dude what um what, what a and time. I'm just glad you still have life. the video for it. And on the, and then on your Twitch stream, we got to experience <laughs> that with other people. That was really fun. Oh my god, I did a Twitch <laughs> stream and I think I DJed like eight hours. But and you were on there and we were laughing so hard. I was showing crazy videos and you were like, "Show the Tried by Twelve video." And so I tr- <laughs> I found it on YouTube and played it. And uh, and the, actually, the painting behind me, that red painting, is by Urban Medium in Atlanta. He flew me to Atlanta. And we filmed that video. I remember we were doing an art show at the High Museum, and it was me and DJ Clever. And DJ Clever had never even seen Serato before. And I flew out there with this Serato box thing, and I had to show it to him. And he was like all on record. And then Derek, Urban Medium, was like, "Uh, I got my boy Zach Wolf. So this has to be like like summer 07 or something yes 07 and he was like we're yeah. gonna film a move he goes I, I i put an ad on craigslist that we need girls and i rented a limo for the night uh and i got my boy zach to film let's go and so we just jump in this limo pick up the girls from craigslist that we met and drove around went to this like atlanta kind of the banana splitish like night of atlanta which i think um Man, I think what what was her name? I think it was Speaker Fox. So, like Tamara, passed away. Uh, Speaker Fox. Yeah, it was. It would have been away. either Speaker Fox or like Tamara Sky and and and. I think Caleb it was. It was this been. night, and it was like a you know it was a mix of where it was like hipster, but with like goth, but like the be more break. I don't know. We went to this night, and then we filmed yeah. it, and we filmed everybody there, and put this whole crazy video together for my remix of tribe by 12 for basically no reason sure. it was like the most high quality video and people were like why'd you do this i'm like it really not? is quality and well because a lot of people didn't know what they were because it was hard to do like that's kind of yeah. why i like the streaming thing now because if someone does a really good job with the graphics and i play a cool mix i like cutting out those two minutes and putting it on instagram because it looks fine but up until then like there's very little like video other than like glenjamin and stuff of me playing because i was never someone right. that could make like like a puff piece kind of right. video for myself you know what i mean where yeah, it was like, yeah like I, who was it remember like uh dj splice had that video of him like uh <laughs> walking around hollywood boulevard with like the beastie boys playing and he was just kind of like getting up in the camera and he had his like sweater on that had his name like no disrespect but i was just like who is this how do you sell DJ gigs with this? You know what I mean? But like right. your tried by 12 video was like, first of all, this song is crazy. And also like, what is even going on? Like, cause I knew you, you're a very like upbeat yeah. guy. And that video is like fucking like, well, dark bruv. Like it's like, it's all black and white. And it's just like the murderer and like DJ clever is in there. And there's like, all this like I know, I know. crazy stuff going on. 
No, it was, I mean, it's all it was Zach, Zach Wolf, cool. Urban Medium. Like, Zach Wolf is, like, an amazing photographer. Like, he does some – Yeah, everyone, Everyone has seen his his pictures. And, like, at the time, he was like, let's do this. We're going to go to this area. We're going to Five Points. We're going to this crazy mural. And, and we just went all around and filmed it. And I was like, what the hell are and we doing? And that mural, I, I didn't realize it because I have only been to Atlanta once, and that was, like, in 2016. Yeah. Um, And that was post, like – young thug and all the stuff that was going on i wanted to like go and be in rap studios and understand what was happening it was amazing right but that mural is like the mural from the like young thug trouble video oh really crazy like, the, like, i didn't I even got realize the white, like a mice put that little baby on ice like yeah. that song that whole video is like young thug and trouble like playing dice in front of that mural so when we watched your video back a couple of weeks ago i was like oh shit like it's the young thug uh you know graffiti mural yeah we were out there like we had to buy we had to borrow turntables from somebody i can't even remember who lent it to us i feel like it was dj wonder or like somebody i don't know someone who was in atlanta it was that had a wonder in their I, I name i believe but. that's what you said when you told me the story oh no um you're talking about um no, Rob, Ray, uh, no, Ray, there's so Rob, many wonders. Rob Wonder, Rob Wonder, yeah, Rob Wonder. Yeah, that, that's who it was. Thank you, Rob, Rob Wonder. Rob Wonder, who had the Scion show. Exactly, yeah, so where, I think he lent yo, us Rob the Rob Wonder, tables. like, where are you at? That where was my at? dog. I haven't heard or seen him in years. Like, when, when he was doing his stuff with Scion, he was like, he used to come to WMC, like, real hot, and we had some great, like, really memorable times. So, like, shout out. Shout out to Rob Wonder if you're if you're listening to the Beat Portal um, podcasts, <laughs> Beat Source, Beat Portal. I don't know if there's a website called Beat Portal at all, but yes, it's the Beat Source. The, was, it's the I twenty podcast you, I on you Beat, there was. Beat oh, no, Portal. Oh no, Beat Port, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they need to add the uh, AL at the end. <laughs> Welcome to the what Beat it is portal. is it's a portal. Remember a in portal the nineties when everyone was. Uh, having a portal yeah now everyone's doing that again with cryptocurrency nft yeah. portal something <laughs> that is how i explained it to someone people are like well what is it? i'm like well remember in the late 90s when people were like we need a website so like some people just stayed in their home and didn't spend any money and became like really rich and other people did like jeff bezos stuff but most of the people who lost their money like bought pinball machines and tons of copper wiring and like made offices and got like hot receptionists and hired like me and all my friends to tell them stuff. And it was like, well, what are you doing? They're like, well, it's a portal <laughs> to For the <beats>. internet. <laughs> For Yeah. It's a beat portal. It's well, Shecky had rap network.com, which was both content provider and a portal. Oh my god! And Shecky is always ahead of the game. I'm talking. To, I talked to Shecky today, but I talked to Shecky like all the time, at least every week now. And like he'll still be telling me, you know, he's at the forefront of everything, NFTs and crypto, quite and possibly hip, hip hop, and quite possibly the the smartest person that I've known in my life. Smartest, Shecky one of the most Green. entertaining people to talk to, one of the most enjoyable people to talk to, and listen to stories. I mean, just. Like, he's one of my favorites he he was my he was my cool uncle of choice like he was gifted to me by the world and literally just always treated me like i was like you know a nephew that needed guidance and 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 you know we're still very close to this day um 
I don't talk to him every week, but we talk, we talk frequently when we talk, it's long. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, me too. Be like, like, the, like, like the phone will draw, like disconnect like seven times. And I still call back. Cause it gets, I like, know. I don't know. He's got like, he's just so smart and he's just, he's accomplished in a way that none of us will ever be able to achieve. Yeah. Like, like if you see another DJ that's doing really well, like you can say like, that's what I want. And if you're good enough, you could go out and get it. But like, you can't totally. go back in time and like create the source magazine or like be the guy who like saw talent in Eminem and like helped him make his demo or, or like, you know, have the kind of like visions that he had for what was going to happen on the internet and 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 help the artists that he helped and just even like him just having his office space is in like no small part like why i am who i am because stretches stretch armstrong's studio or stretch armstrong's office was shared an office with game and that's right. where i was stretch's intern so but stretch wasn't that worried about what was that like he wasn't worried about his label yet. He knew he had to have an intern and that I had to be around when I wasn't in college, but like there wasn't always something for me to do there. And he very much was like, come back here. And like, I'll introduce you to like MC search and Will Sokoloff and Sasha Jenkins and Todd James and Agala and Sean price and blase blase. And like whoever's in the back room, like come back and smoke blunts with us. Just like shut up and listen. And then they would leave and he would sit and like, tell me like everything I had just seen and like how the record industry works and what you do when, and he was just cool as fuck. And he could just get so blunted and like do all that shit. Like he looked clean and he had a nice place. He had hella money in the bank and he would like, could wake up and like smoke a blunt at like 10 AM and like do his business. And I was like, that's my fucking idol. Like what the fuck? Like you can do that. Like you can be that, that professional and that on point and like blunted, like, let's go. Oh my God. That's the best <laughs> it description. It's so true. I've been in situations with him. I'm like, does he feel like I feel right now? Like we just smoked. How do, I, I don't understand how he's talking to like the richest person in Las Vegas and making like an insane deal for like a four year program. And I'm like, I'm over here. Like where's the water? <laughs> like, this fool. I'll tell you a story. So I not what you would call a poker player. And yes, me, same check wants us all as his friends he loves poker so much that like anything that's your main joy the same way that when i play a good set i want to like all my friends to see it like when he plays poker like he very much wants you to come like anytime i introduce him to someone it's like the first question is like do you play poker do you want to go right now and like and eventually on my like 27th trip to vegas he was like all right listen like we're not gonna do regular shit like fuck seeing djs or going to strip clubs or whatever like you're gonna play poker and he's like we're gonna do it so we sat at his house and we got you know blazed and we played online poker for hours until i clearly really understood how to do it you know what i mean like he had me put like my own credit card in right right and like in the beginning he let me play with his money and then when i started winning it back he's like you put your credit card in and then like i started playing and then i won like 200 bucks or something and he was just like all right you got this and then we went to the mandalay bay and smoked 
a you know a dildo sized blunt in his car and then go straight <laughs> into the thing into the bright lights and he goes you go sit at that table and then he went to like the high stakes table you know so i'm sitting at a table with all these like people poker players so there's like young yep. drunk college guys that know everything there's weird like old guys in sunglasses that aren't talking <laughs> and smoking cigarettes and eating a fucking rack of lamb at the table and shit like that you know what i mean like i'm just like this is so different than being in Shecky's house playing online poker right and then like just right away like i got my first hands and i had like pocket aces right so like i was just i start uncontrollably shaking and because uh, <laughs> i'm just like because <sighs> he did not teach me how to like literally play poker he taught me the rules of poker like he right. wasn't like be really really aware of your body movement <laughs> you know and, like, so yeah, I start especially after you and smoke then, a, a blunt yeah and i'm so stoned and the lights are so bright and there's security everywhere and weird vegas stuff going on and like and like the first time comes around, but I'm like, I know a little bit about the rules of poker, right? So they're like, do you want to raise? And I'm like, no, but like, I'll call. And then a guy across the thing goes like, you got pocket aces? And I, I was know. like, no. And he's like, <laughs> why are you shaking like that? Is it a bad yeah. hand or a good hand? And I was like, worry about it. And he's like, he's got pocket aces. <laughs> He's got pocket aces. And I just had to like, I just, I like folded pocket aces and just walked back to Shecky. And I was like, I'm going to go play blackjack with the rest of my money. Cause I feel comfortable there. And <laughs> that's, oh, that's incredible. That's so funny. That sounds like what like would happen so, to me. I was just so mad at that guy. Cause I was like, get your ass over to the high stakes table with that shit. Like I'm yeah. over here trying to like, learn how to play poker like, <laughs> first hand like best hand ever and i couldn't even play it because i was just like <sighs> like i was just too stoked Yo, that's the lesson incredible. is don't be too stoned and not know how to play poker exactly that's what i tell my son all the time um <laughs> those are really good lessons i mean that's Apply that. Don't be too blank and don't try dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a great lesson. Yo, that's that's incredible. And then, like, I mean, just to talk about, like, like you mentioned being in New York and with them, like, so you were what? You were like 20, 21. You're in New York. Shecky. I was Shecky's 19 done everything. years old. Okay. Yes. You're 19 years Shecky old. Had, Shecky had just sold uh his half of the source magazine like and it just okay. kind of like finalized the deal um my first day at game they were had received the pressings of bad meets evil but it was not released yet so they only right. had my my flows is tight lord digger so they had one record so right. that's and for the people late. that don't know he had game records he, it was this record label too that was it was weird because the covers were like wasn't it like the hip hop honeys kind of covers on it, it was what would become the hip hop honeys and so it was like well, hot he was girls very, on an underground hip hop he was record. he was he was very into what he would refer to as like upscale gentleman's culture yes um right 
and and he he knew that the kind of dudes that were shopping at fat beats for those kind of 12 inches were guys like us who had never gotten laid and so he <laughs> assumed like for the same kind of i well, this is my theory this is not me putting his words in his mouth but i think he kind of explained it to me once that it was just like your eye is going to be more drawn to like a beautiful woman in a bikini with like a bunch of dollar bills behind her and like blunts or whatever than it is going to be to like a picture of god bless my friends, seven L and esoteric, just being like, I'm unhappy. You know what I mean? Like, or, 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 like, like or, or like our high and mighty, like, like there was just the general, like the cover artwork of what was going on in fat beats at the time. And these records were selling like 15, 20,000 records a pop, you know, like high and mighty right. tried by 12. Like these, these guys were yeah. repressing. Yeah. But none, there was no sex appeal. Like, you know, I think we can all agree that the sex appeal level of Fat Beats was exactly zero. And Negative, like, yeah. And so, like, yeah, so you would have records by, like, the confusing thing was that if you didn't read the copy, you thought that it was, like, pornographic girl rap. Right. Yeah, but right. Then it was you like Eminem's first song, especially Bad Meets Evil had two girls on the cover, one of which was Midori Watley, Jody Watley's sister, um, who was a big porn star at the time. But wow. it was Eminem and Royce, and that single dropped at the time that Eminem was coming out. So, like, although Scary Movie was like a big record and ended up being in the movie Scary Movie, like, imagine like what that record could have been if it had Eminem and Royce on the cover, like we're unhappy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Crazy. That's, that's nuts. Wow. So yeah, I mean, that was but his, also, that, like, you know, never, never not want to not do things his own way, which is the way to do it. Like, this is totally. not like, he knows obviously like what can be done. He was more interested in doing, you know, I could see like someone listening might think that that was me dissing game records which it is not it's it's just no. stating the obvious that like what he did was something that had been done and it worked in a way i don't think it worked as well as he would have liked it to but like what does and right. but it was an amazing place to be because he would just put out singles he wasn't doing albums so every two or three weeks there was a focus on whatever he was putting out. So when I started working there, like Eminem and Royce were there all of the time, which was pretty fucking exciting, you know? Cause those were like, <laughs> yeah, like the slim shady LP wasn't out yet, but we had all heard it cause it was floating around like the bootleg tape of it. And so Crazy. we all knew who those guys were and we knew that Eminem was the best new rapper and that Royce was his best friend and like, no, and no one to be, trifled with on the mic and like so like when i was 19 and i was like i went from being in like i mean i was wearing you know like filthy disgusting cargo pants my one pair of shoes and like a shirt that maybe had never been washed and a backwards <laughs> hat that fred durst ruined for me so like uh and like 
And yeah. I was just back there with these guys, and I knew who they were going to be. And then the next single that he put out after Bad Meets Evil was Blase Blase Federal Reserve Notes. So, like, wow. Eminem went off and became Eminem, but then now suddenly Out Loud and P.F. Cutton were always in the back room. And I would sit back there. That's how I have my Blase Blase drop. And P.F. Cutton and I still talk to this day, you know, legendary DJ. I grew up listening to his tapes. And, like, there he was sitting in the back, like, asking me for my opinion on his new beats and then him and then they did agala crookie monster so agala was in the back and i hung out with him all the time and that's how i got my drop from agala and then he and i became close and then i was hanging out with him and he introduced me to sean price because they were like best friends and like all of this stuff all came along from just being stoned at game recordings and it was and it was amazing. And then it was like Thurston Howell, and then he did that record with Black Rob. Like it just went on and on. And whoever he was doing a record with would just the office was so cool that people would come and hang out in the back room and they would sit there. And I always had like an ounce of bomb. So like I was already your best friend. You know what I mean? Like you were a rapper For who sure. was just at game records to loiter and like use the printer or the phone or whatever and then like there's also just like a me like i love every single thing that you've ever done would you like me to roll you a blunt you know like <laughs> yes I, I feel like i was that guy in a lot of situations too i wasn't in new york though like that was the mecca like i would come out there and, and be like this is crazy i want to live here and do this that's that's amazing <laughs> It was incredible. incredible. So shout out. I mean, definitely any podcast I've ever done, I've said this, but like, I can't say it enough. Shout out to Shecky Green and Stretch Armstrong and Dante Ross for their, as their patience with me and for seeing whatever they saw in me as a gross 19 year old who didn't own his own deodorant. Like, uh, it's, it's, (laughs) It's it's really cool. Like I mean, I was I was working with Dante last week, and we were in here for three hours, and I was like very, you know. I also like I know how to verbalize things now, and I'm a 42 year old person, and I and I have a little bit of view on life, so it's not the crazy thrill ride that it was, but I still feel that way. Like even though he and I talk all the time, we're very close. When he comes into my house, I'm a little bit starstruck because. Yeah. I look around and I'm like, KM, like, if you look, I have like old dirty bastard poster here. And then I have a KMD poster over here. And it's like, in no small part, like that's Dante Ross and like brand Nubian, like all of my favorite stuff was like all of the like Electra stuff from like 1990 to 92 Dell hieroglyphics, old dirty bastard, Buster rhymes, KMD, uh, like the list goes on and on. And like, that's Dante Ross, like, and that's crazy. And his production, like his his remix of Grand Pooba and Mary J. Blige was like the first time I ever made out. I think that song was playing. You know what I mean? Like, so to wow. have to, to meet him when I was nineteen and just have him be like, "Yo, come to my studio and just like hang out. Like, come by any time. Just knock on the door." Because you're talking about a pre cell phone time in New York where it was just like, "I'm on the block. Let's roll up." You know. So he was just like, yo, you know where we at, like, come through. And I would come through and like, what a guy, you know? And and that's so shout out, shout out to those three guys. I say it a lot, but like, I can't say it enough. 
that no i mean honestly that's they're like the trifecta of impeccable music taste and futuristic forward thinking they really are and in no small way in a wu-tang sense i'd like to include rob reef tulo in that group um yeah who's was also very just so impressive like as a producer and, and as a businessman like he was you know a and ring stuff at atlantic but he also had just done the beat for like the opening he did what up gangsta for 50 cent like he did that opening wow you're right record yeah. on 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 that album you know what i mean that's crazy and then that and then and then of course the other member paul rosenberg who was also the the jewish mafia as they were known at the time in new york but i met them all i think i talked about this on the road podcast so i won't dwell on it too much but i met them all at the same time at the same the night that i met stretch i met all of them at once and it was wow. a, a lot of heavy hebraic hip hop heroicness. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you need to make an a, NFT it, it of a, that term. No. <laughs> it was it was it was a four H. It was a, it was a four H. Oh wow, um, which is one which is one one better than a three H. Um, yeah, no, the so four H is to the top. That's the best you can get. Uh, oh my god, that's and it incredible. Was that, that, that table was what did I say? Heavy hip hop, every every hebrewic hip hip hop, hip hop heroicness, <laughs> yeah, heroism, whatever it is. Um, uh, but it was yeah, Paul Rosenberg, Reef, Shecky, Stretch, and DJ Mighty Mai, and and Marissa Pizarro because also Marissa Pizarro was there. Um, wow. But uh, she was not Jewish, and she was a. Uh, but she also was awesome. She's who introduced, she's, ended up introducing she's part me to Dante. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, if you ever start a company, you just call it 4H, and then people find out what it stands for. <laughs> 4H. I feel like there's definitely a company called 4H, right? Don't they make scotch tape? That's 3M. That's 3M. <laughs> we're 3M. Bat- that's what we're doing. We're battling 3M. We're making 4H. Oh, no, 4H is what's in the uh, uh, COVID vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, you put the 4H with the 5G and then just put a little 3M on it and then we're good. And we're, we're going out to in the public. I take the 4H, the 5G, the 3M. I make 3Ms with three men's and three dens. Anyway. There's Royce. That's Royce the 5'9". <laughs> that was on that record. <laughs> this is Royce, the 320-pound Jew. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 amazing. So that was basically your introduction into the music business at that point. What what a that, what a that, well, no, it actually wasn't. It. I I had I had worked at Maverick Records previously for Gaio Siri. Wow, that's that's amazing. Gaio Siri. Okay, so so you got to come into the game working for Gaio Siri and then move over to meeting the 4H crew. Yes. Well, I can honestly say that working for Gaio Siri is what taught me what I did not want to be a part of. And that is not a disrespect to Gaio Siri. Right. He's just a very intense record industry business shark. And he, I was learning, he was teaching me a little bit, you know, I interned from him um, to the point where he did tell me that I should quit and not attend my senior year of high school and work for him full time. Because if I knew that this is what I wanted to do, like that's the kind of person he was. And I mentioned it to my father and he's like, 
I'll kill that guy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> he's like, you're, he's like, you're definitely finishing high school. And like, why the fuck would he say that to you? And I'm like, well, to be fair, yeah. you kind of said that to him. <laughs> there was a reason I, the, the, but, but guy had graduated guy graduated with my older brother. And at the, um, we had a, a pool party after the Beverly high class of 1991 graduation. And, um, and guy was there and he came there that day with Hen G and evil E uh, because wow. he was down with the rhyme syndicate. And so he what? brought Hen G and evil E to my house in Beverly Hills and they were all in the kitchen. And my dad came down and my dad was a very hip cat and he spoke to guy and he gave him like all this advice and put him in touch with Freddie demand who ran Maverick records, who was just starting Maverick with Madonna and Freddie just based on my dad's cosign and his ability to suss out talent, like met with guy one time guy was 17 and a half years old and he gave him the title of like president of the company or whatever and just let him run Maverick records. And then years later, Guy would, and this is when I say, like, I learned what I don't want to do from working with Guy was like years later, he pushed, not pushed out, but, you know, took the company over from Freddie because it's like, if you want to be the ultimate karate master, you have to like kill your sensei or whatever. And I'm like, alternately, stay friends with your sensei forever and like, make sure you shout them out as much as you can because of how they taught you everything. (laughs) <laughs> yes there's two 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 schools of thought of like my my ego is not so gnarly that i feel like i have to outdo all of the people that taught me all of the good things that i know i just am happy to exist in their world um right yeah uh but but guy guy was a very 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 driven person and you know but you can tell that from i mean think of what he was that's crazy he so he was a 21 year old president of a music label telling me like quit school work for me full time like if you really know what you want and he would like i wanted to leave early one day because it was summer of 96 and i wanted to go wait in line outside of unity because raekwon and ghostface were playing and i wanted to make sure i get in and he's like he's like first of all let me make a phone call and he like calls steve rifkin he's like let me tell you what got my intern here says he wants to leave early to go stand in line for wu-tang clan stuff can you get him a fucking pass or what and he's like he's like go to loud records in 20 minutes they got a laminate three laminates for like you and your friends and i was just like no fucking way bro (laughs) and then he's like and he's like and second of all that stuff is all bullshit (laughs) you know and i was just like what do you mean he was just like He's like, what are you going to do? Stand in line for shows at rap shows. He's like, at a certain point, you're going to have to like realize that like, it's only about Led Zeppelin and the sex pistols and, you know, rap is, you got to get out of that game. Cause he had, you know, he was part of the rhyme syndicate and tried to bring all those guys up. And I think, you know, in the early nineties, it was a different experience. And as a kid from Beverly Hills, he probably, you know, things didn't work out the way that he wanted to. You've worked with rappers in the 90s before. You know, it's not always easy, you know, and it's not, it's just like, and not yeah. just rappers, any musicians, like when you, but like for some reason he had been soured on stuff. I just remember thinking like, I'm going to go back to school because I have a senior year to live. 
and yeah. I only had a couple weeks left of interning. And serendipitously enough, the very first weekend after the end of my internship at Maverick Records, I was forced to go to my very first rave. Wow. Crazy. So it was it was summer of 96. I loved Wu-Tang Clan, obviously. And then the rest of my love was like ska and punk. And like I loved like two-tone ska and like 80s LA punk. And I would go to like Aquabats shows and like Citizen Fish and 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 stuff like that. Um and you know, raving for lack of a better term was gay. And like it wasn't uh what um you know uh it just, it wasn't like, you know, you just had, I wore, I had the Ravers suck t-shirt uh, and it just wasn't, it wasn't like, a, like I was a skater. Like it was just a thing where like, I just, I didn't know what it was. And I just knew that they were like hippies and freaks. And I had taken ecstasy and acid before, but I like, wasn't like a lifestyle drug user. And, right. um, but I did like to take acid. So when I, when my my friends who were with me at all the punk shows were like one by one going with my friend Felicia and coming back in much more colorful outfits and yes. like with weirder mixtapes, like no more fucking, uh, you know, DJ SNS and DJ clue mixtapes in the whip. All of a sudden everything's like it's Garth and Carlos and Thomas and Dan. <laughs> I was like, who are all these one named men? Like what, like, like, why aren't they called? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, we got to go. Cause going off Garth is spinning. I'm like, it's spinning. What spinning yarns, like spinning, spinning plates. You know, like it was just yeah. the way they talked about and idolized DJs was what was interesting to me. Cause I loved DJ culture. And when I was young, I did love dance music. I loved power tools and I love Mars FM I love the RuPaul album and I loved Crystal Waters and, and Nightcrawlers and all of the stuff that was like on Power 106. Yeah. And that summer was the summer of like Funk Phenomenon and the Bucketheads being on Power 106, like nonstop all the time. Like right. every other song with Bucketheads, uh, the bomb, these sounds fall into my mind, followed by the Funk Phenomenon and then like the DJ Funk billy jean fucking like doo, 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 work that shit doo, 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 and like and the eurythmic sweet dreams remix like that was just like the whole summer was like those songs and like i liked all of those songs right but in my mind it, we're gonna be like trance and i had heard jungle once and i was like hey relax <laughs> like that's too many drums you know what i mean like i was just like like someone was like there's this new shit from the uk and put in a tape in my car and i'm like please get that the fuck out of my car like that's horrifying to me right and then i told my friends they're like we, you gotta come they're like you're done working you've been working all summer we've been going to these raves and i was like that shit's gonna be whack i don't want to go and then they were like we'll give you as much acid as you want and i was like well, then you, I guess you got yourself a deal, but I'm going to wear my like special shirt and my punk rock spike bracelet and my, and my converse with like dead Kennedy's logos on the toes. And like, just so people know that I'm not one of these assholes. And like, by the end of the night, I had a surgical mask full of vapor rub and had met DJ trance 
and had heard all in one party every kind of music because it was a massive it was called opium 96 in pomona and it was uh it was a uh, remember remember second street in pomona off geary like where the glass house is it's like yes. the third street promenade kind of yeah so totally. they had that and it was a rave and so the glass house was a gabber room and then there was a little cafe that was like the chill room and then the bank the big white the fox theater was like the big house room and then there was some wow. sort of upstairs cafe that was the drum and bass room so in that night and i had like the little booklet because i had only been i'd been to like plays and stuff my dad always always like they always get a program you know like always get yes. a playbill like it was always like you get a thing so when i walked in and people were handing out the things like i just like grabbed one like, so I i'm looking that. at it so i'm just like raw ron decor dj trance like these are the people i need to see so i was going from place to place to find them but i was not ready for gabber bro like being like a 17 year old on acid who had spent his whole summer like promoting like Deftones and Alanis Morissette records at Maverick. Like, I walked in and I heard that fucking like, burr, 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 and I was just like, oh, you guys are fucked. And they had projections <laughs> of hammers smashing glass. And I was like, but everyone was wearing rainbows and like making out, massaging each other. But like, when I think back on it now, like the Gabber kids were kids who had more complex stuff going on than I did. And like, I understand now why that was. Cause like a lot of the kids who are still my friends who were in that room at that time were people who had, you know, funky home lives. Like it's the same people that jump in, that were jumping into the pit at the punk rock shows. Like I right. went to the punk rock shows and I got in the pit, but when that pit got heavy or that pit had like, 20 year olds yeah. in it at an all ages show like i wasn't trying to punch anyone in the face or get punched right. like i was trying to dance aggressively because it was part of the tradition but like Same. i didn't need to get punched in the face because my dad hated me you know so like i like so i understood that right 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 and I, but at, but at the time i was just like why are all these ravers listening to this music and now i like truly understand and love gabber not like i listen to it frequently but more frequently than you would think because as you're a person who digests a lot of music right like yeah you sit here all day and you're like cool there's 42 new drake songs and there's like 70 new diplo songs and there's and i need to listen <laughs> to all of these in the next hour and you know like and then you figure yeah. out which ones are good or whatever um and I get very numb to it to where it's hard to tell what I like and what I don't like sometimes. Cause I'm listening to so much different kinds of music. Yeah. And, and sometimes turning off the music and breathing and like listening to jazz, like makes it worse because then you hear like really talented musicians and realize that maybe you shouldn't be playing any Drake or Diplo songs at all. So like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're just like, wait a minute. Like, I should just be going to jazz clubs and collecting jazz records. Cause like, this is better than any of the stuff that I'm doing. And, uh, <laughs> but, but so what I do alternately is I listen to like Ron decor or Delta nine, or sometimes like happy hardcore, like Paulina Taylor, or mind controller. And 
it fucks my head up like just a 200 bpm drums but like it's funky and i'll start dancing and i'll start grooving and it but it sounds terrible because it's old gabber so like then when i listen to like the music i can it's so easy to tell like what i really love and not just like what i can tolerate because after like nine or ten minutes of gabber i have to turn it off because i'm like all right i'm gonna fucking explode you know yeah like that felt really good but like i gotta go to the other room which is like when i was only in that room for maybe five minutes but over the course of many years i then i've been to a couple like gabber parties and stuff and like i really fuck with like there's some new stuff that's good like uh little texas is out there killing right. it in the gabber that's, scene that, that's what reminds me of all that old stuff because uh saying well, someone has you- to keep it alive and i'm worried that that kind of stuff is gonna die and lil tex is a very very talented producer and yeah and i i had i had him on my radio show back in the day when he was doing like trap stuff and and very nice guy and knows a lot about music and very talented and to see someone like him gravitate to where i came out from around and right and keep it alive like he like he's doing a show i'm pretty sure this coming weekend or depending on when this airs last weekend or a month ago um he's well he's out there doing shows like with rob g and like the people that were like the people that i loved in the 90s that were gabber people so he's like he's not just like on some new school like uh culture vulture shit like he's very much like part of the hardcore will never die landscape which is sick like like yeah like he's keeping the history alive yeah i had the mental tenacity or the focus like i think it would be so cool to be a gabber dj because like that's truly underground like it's music that's designed to frighten and alienate you but like it is funky and the production techniques and the ways that it connects with the people that love it is so amazing and like and they say, you know, only for the headstrong, like it really is true because it's like made for like, like if you're, you know, like whatever it is in your life, your girlfriend broke up with you, your parents beat the shit out of you. You're just born generally unhappy. Like you fucking like, that's where you're going to get your release. And like, if you can't take that kind of pain, like if you're like me and you need to leave the room or turn it off after 10 minutes, like, like that's real underground music. That's not like someone that's just going to sound like what's popular in five years. You know how like yeah, everyone who dissed, like everyone who dissed Jay-Z 15 years ago on their rap records now just sounds like Jay-Z that back then because right. <laughs> they're just like 15 years behind, like Gabber is still Gabber and like, yeah. it's still alienating and it's still difficult. And like, but it still speaks to like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And I had like this conversation with someone recently, the, the, a, a girl who is very cool. Um, my friend Sarah, who is Gabber DJ in Atlanta, um, and she is like, I don't understand like why it doesn't cross over and like how it still hasn't done it. You know how they say it's always gonna be the year of drum and bass? Always, um, yeah. But it's like, no, but it's not because this music is designed to alienate like this is made for people that only want to live this life. Like the reason that there might be a hit but it's never going to be the year is because like, this is not pop music unless you get the occasional 
high contrast hit or Goldie hit or a song that truly is a standout. And you're like, if you're a junglist, you're like, Oh shit. Like there's a jungle thing. It's going to be our year, but it's like, no, because you would just have to make like hundreds of other records that are like that or better. And it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Like so bombs true. over Baghdad by outcast. Like, I feel like that's as, as good as it's going to get for drum and bass. <laughs> just a, a 21 year old except song a, that isn't drum and bass except except ex, 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 that song is definitely drum and bass if you listen to it um and 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 as the legend goes they were touring in amsterdam and big boy and andre heard drum and bass while they were there and that's where they did and that's where they got the idea for that beat crazy i never really thought Don't about that check. song in like a you're, drum and bass category you understand but I guess you're right. drum and bass listen to that instrumental and the sound choices i mean i'm pretty sure it's an amen i mean like it's it's just it's drum and bass as made by people that don't truly understand drum and bass so like right, right. it but that's like what came out and also people um, that are experimental andre 3000 yeah. and and big boy oh my god that's yeah, crazy and and their, their hip-hop doesn't sound like hip-hop either, you know? <laughs> right, right. And the alienation right. thing was true because I remember being in my – like going to look at colleges and being in the back of my parents' car. And I was I had all those mixtapes, Ron Decor, you know, R.A.W., R.A.W. and DJ Trance, two-by-four sets. And, and there'd be parts where they'd go into the Gabber house or Happy Hardcore or whatever. There was this are you, whole are you set. Talking about, are you talking about Wake Up L.A.? Maybe was that the one where he did the fuck the, San the Francisco thing? Yeah, where he starts, he's like, "This is why. This is oh my god, I love it so much." I actually, I gave my original copy of that as a gift while I was out of my head to Adam <laughs> Goes Ham because he threw a party where he booked DJ Trance and um, and Raw. And like what? I was going to DJ a party with him, and I still had my original tape, and I was like, "This isn't doing anyone any good." And I've played it a thousand times. I was like, "I want to give this to you. Like, this is my tape I've had since the '90s." Because I don't know, I consider myself some kind of cosmic shaman, I guess. Um, but uh, <laughs> but that tape, yeah. In the beginning of it, Raw says, "What does he say?" He's like, "He's like, I just want to say." Fuck K-Rock and all those retro-liking motherfuckers who invited Retro and K-Rock into the scene. And fuck all those San Francisco motherfuckers. And blah, blah, blah. And like he goes off. And then he has the song, fuck San Francisco. Fuck San Francisco. Oh my God. Fuck, it's still fuck, burned fuck, into fuck, my fuck brain. San Francisco. Yeah. That's and like then, that but chant. Then he does the, but then he does the illest cut ever. Yeah. With the fucking like, what's his name? Tell me what's his name? R A W. And it's like, then, you know, the R A W don't play when it comes to my bass. And then it has that huge bass hit. Like that mixtape taught me everything about like how you can do like turntablism and dance music. Cause like, yeah, like me too. R like R A W is so ill and DJ trance, like bless his heart. He tried to be, He's a great DJ, but like his cuts were for shit. And like, but that R.A.W. side of that mix are like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my crazy. God. That, that's why like, I got it. And oh, that was, yeah. that was 20. Oh, that was, no, that was 30 ago. years ago. That was, was 30 say, years ago. That, they, that could have been that 30 years ago. Mix. Yeah. yeah 29, 30 years ago. And that, yeah. that mixtape is like, and cause like, I think that shit is like, 
on a four track, but very minimally. Like I think right. he, they maybe added little tricks and turns, but it's not like a four level blend thing. Like it's like yeah. a live mix, and they went back and like did a couple edits, right? Or like talked over but a part like, or something. Yeah, it's so ill, man. Fucking a. Wake up, LA. You can. It's on Mixcloud. It, it sounds is? terrible, and like you probably whoever's listening. You're most likely to not understand what's going on here, but give it a shot. Who knows? Give it a shot. Exactly. I, <laughs> like, I, I definitely to never. I, I've never said to anyone like, "Dude, you know what you gotta hear during this after party." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, because it's so crazy, and like the sound quality, it's like you know an MP3 of a tape from 1991 that was like oh, yeah. recorded straight, straight out of a four track while these guys were on like early nineties ecstasy. So like yeah. it's a sound is like, <laughs> yeah, pretty, there's more, there's more wild. hits than anything. There's no treble. It's like completely like, but honestly like- on some DJ shit, if you like old drum and bass and you like turntablism, R.A.W. continues to be overlooked. I know six block is seen popularity his dubstep moniker and that obviously here in la we all and all and a lot of most parts of the world yeah raw is recognized but not in a way because you know i mean he's not dj craze he's not one of the best scratchers that ever lived but the way that he combines turntablism with underground music in a unique way if you've never heard it it's worth checking out and especially his mixes raw is dead and no darkness which was kind of like an in-betweener of like happy hardcore but with all amen breaks so it's all like sped up chipmunk vocal stuff but with big rolling amens and rinse outs and it's like pre-jungle but like post gabber and so it's like i mean that fools i bought my first turntable from him at, at beat nonstop, and i bought I bought records from him and then it's crazy. Just a few years ago, we played a show at dragonfly as camo UFOs, Nate day and I, uh, and we opened for him and, and we made dub plates like for the night and stuff, just cause it was like, we need to, like RAW to know that even though we only play like once a year, like we're about this life, you know? <laughs> wow. That's so dope. Yeah. He's, Speaking I of mean... which coming out soon available on, Beat Quest now um, is um, Camo UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> it's not available now, but it's coming out. I don't know when records come out. Sometime between tomorrow and it's six months from now. Um, there's a, 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 a Camo UFOs record on Common Collect. It's called Dishy, and there's a Sinistar remix that's going to rock your socks off. So, you know, get into it. Get into it. That's, yeah. What I mean, that's the other thing. You're... You know, you're one of the greatest DJs, period, to me. Like, I love your style and just how versatile you are. And no, for real. Like, people say you're one you're the great one of the greatest DJs or the greatest DJ in LA, but to me That's it's it's a it's a worldwide global type of thing. And like your ability to play whatever genre you're playing with such genuine purity and knowledge and the approach to it is so genuine. Like even if you're DJing a style of music, you adjust your style of DJing to it and you know so much about it. Like it's just so authentic. Um, and oh, well, you know, thank so- you for, thank, thank you for noticing. But having said <laughs> that, what well, I would rephrase the greatest with um, it's that I do things 
differently because I know for sure that yes. I'm not the greatest. Um, but I do love to hear it. You actually legitimately like made me blush because I have so much <laughs> respect for you as a DJ. That's crazy mm-hmm. to hear you say that. But um, it uh, it is because I do. It's like I said. Like I, it is that experience where like I loved hip hop and punk so much and when i went to raves i kept that with me like i didn't switch up the way a lot of other people did like i didn't do like all right punk is over hip hop like when i started going to punk shows i made my own homemade wu-tang and gravediggers patches and put them on my punk rock jacket and then i wore that jacket to my first rave and then when i started wearing like rave bracelets like i like you see i still have them on like i don't leave shit in the past i just add it to what i'm doing and even though i can't pay full it's like sometimes your kid goes off to college and you don't care what happens to them every day anymore you just check in with them once a month and make sure they're still alive you know like (laughs) but you still love you still love them like that's how i am about gabber and drum and bass like once a year or so i'll take the time to kind of see like everything that's exciting and then that's gone on with it recently because like i i care and that's why when i play those sets i like that it translates and that you see that that happens because i really do care and i'm never doing anything because i think that it's going to help my career and i know that and that's actually that's not fair to say that i'm never doing it because i've tried to do it and it comes off trite and disingenuous and when i've tried to make records for a certain label that i saw was really hot at a time i didn't like the way they sounded and like it didn't sound right and then when i tried to just make the stuff i love i play it and i send it to my idols and they're like we love it we're gonna play it so i know i'm not crazy but like when i was trying to make records like for hard fest when i was doing holy ship and stuff it just wasn't i was like i have to just kind of do do the stuff that because like i just couldn't as much as i would love to make a record that's a hit at night base like i just don't know how to it's not i love that music i don't know how to make it and so i'm not going to force it i'm never gonna have a ghost producer um i collaborate with people obviously but like I'm, I'm, like I can't just be like, well, I need to do this now, so I'm gonna have someone make these songs, and I'm gonna put on a black shirt and go do and be this other person now. Like, yeah, that's, no, you're that's you're, why you're, it, you're you're the realist. You know what I mean? You're one of the. But in realists. all, but in all of my house sets, you're gonna hear elements of hip hop. In all of my right. hip hop sets, you're gonna hear elements of dance music. And if I'm, you know, anything that I play, like I'm gonna let you know that I'm not like, like. I don't know. I'm I'm me and not some yeah. someone else, you know. Right. I think that's true. And I mean, you know, for the people listening to this, it's a lot of DJs, you know, and it's the open format DJs and stuff like that. And I think you just made me think of I uh I don't even know if I know the whole story, but like like of something you've told me where you used to play in bottle service clubs and then there was like one night when you decided you were done i don't know if you've talked about this on other podcasts so you don't have to but absolutely i was that might be something people can relate to i was already thinking about how we had just started doing camo ufos was going and up and running 
And Camel and UFOs my, is your drum and bass jungle drum and bass project with group. DJ Nate Day. Um, yeah, and you have so many projects. I definitely want to tell them about all the stuff you have coming up and all of your stuff. But this that well, made at me the think time, of, at know. that year, like I had just kind of learned how to really produce, and so I right. went from being just a DJ for like eleven years to kind of doing edits and Baltimore club remixes to making my first house record that came out on turntable lab in like 2010 and i felt comfortable in the studio but not all the way comfortable so camo right. ufos came about because nate day had gone to engineering school and we had a mutual love of jungle and so we started making those records and then we did that remix for upon the floor and it blew up and like high contrast oh. was opening his sets with it and so like good. I remember I sent it to Josh Swissman like on MySpace, and he wrote me back like, "This is crazy!" And like, and then I've I've now we've now put out three Camo UFO records on One One Nine Sound Records, which, as a raver from LA, like you know, like that's crazy. Like, yeah, it's like super crazy. Like, I'm, I'm basically I'm in One One Nine Crew, and that's you know Heretic and yeah and and Josh Swissman and Golgo Thirteen, and and like like they were like they're so ill, like it's crazy, um, like. I had um, that CD. I, I bought that CD at Tower Records, and then at the same time, I had just met Morse Code, and he played me his samples, and he kind of didn't know how to get them into a computer and get them on the grid and stuff, and that's how Pools came about. And then Sammy Bananas was staying at my house and heard the record I had just done for Turntable Lab, which was very much like an ode to like Daft Punk roulette records um, yeah. called called my fantasy uh which was a do-over classic um and it uh he was like yo i see what you're trying to do and like i can help you make that sound not so shitty and <laughs> and that's how fifth and that's how 15th came about was we made the three song 15th ep wow. and little did we little did we know that duck sauce was also like catching a lot of momentum at that time and by the time we were done with the ep they were getting ready to put out barbara streisand and so like the fool's gold sound for like a couple years was going to be like french touch and so we were able to be the first like french touch single on fool's gold after the release of barbara streisand and our song um tomorrow was like number two in Duck Sauce's Barbara Streisand uh, top ten on Beatport, so like that went number one on the Indie Dance New Disco. Um, so that was like a crazy year. So in 2011, I had three. I had my own DJ sets. I had Camo UFOs. I had Fifteenth, and I had Pools, and they were all going uh, well. Crazy. They were all going really well. So we were playing at festivals as camo ufos like an audio autistic and stuff and then we were playing um pools we were playing like at the do-over and things like that and then 15th we would play like at like the fool's gold nights at wmc or like day off and things like that so there was a lot but as we all know like none of those things translate to any money at all so <laughs> i was still playing in bottle service clubs because right. I did have a name there just because of my connection to DJ AM and Steve Aoki. And the fact that at one point I was a very good multi genre, um, 
nightclub DJ, but that's when it wasn't people with earpieces. Like open format came about because you had six hours and we figured out that people did like different music. Like it came from a real place. Like we didn't play sweet home Alabama and sweet child of mine in the same set as shook ones and, and cutty ranks because we had to, we played all those songs in the same set because we all agreed that all of those songs were awesome. And we all wanted to dance to all of those songs. But of course, nothing dope, can ever not be taken by a bunch of jerk-offs that are going to tell you that this is how you have to do it. I'm like, don't tell me how I have to do something that I helped fucking invent. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like, like, like in Capri, obviously and Clark Kent and Grandmaster Flash are like the guys that like really did that because hip hop in the beginning was not just hip hop. There wasn't enough hip hop to play a set. That's why you had the breaks, but he would play another one bites the dust and funky, you know, rock records and things like that. So it was a natural progression. There were certain records that just like, even if you were in mob deep, sweet home Alabama came on and you were like, that shit knocks, you know, like, so you could play it. Like you, I wouldn't play it at club cheetah. But you play that Central Fly, like that's how Mark Ronson made his name DJing, you know, like, and then AM as well. <laughs> right, right, yeah, true. And, but we all did different versions of that and inserted stuff we love to it. But then when AM took it to Vegas and started having the set that didn't change because his set was so complex and on vinyl that you couldn't do it different the way that i did different sets every week i never had a set that was exactly the same every week right because um, i never wanted to um but you know for better or worse but yeah because of what he was doing and then serato came along and made it so that now anyone could do those sets because it used to be like well if you don't have 40 dollars to pay for a sick 12 inch of sweet child of mine you're just gonna have to try to play it all shitty off the album version and your set's gonna sound whack and you're not gonna be able to cut with it but i'm like i have six copies of the uk pressing of sweet child of mine and i'm just tearing through them you know what i mean um <laughs> yes and like but like now but then all of a sudden every kid in the world had a serato that had you know mp3s that didn't get needle burn and that they didn't need to get new copies of or if someone spilled a drink on them like wasn't fucked you know so then like now there were people that were willing to work for a tenth of the money that that we deserved that would play exactly what am was playing except they sounded garbage and like (laughs) promoters didn't care and bottle service people didn't care you know but but then people would have meetings and they would be told you well, you got to get Mike B because it's like, well, who have we had? And then they would run down the list. They would be like, well, we've had Spider and we've had Morse Code and we've had Fashion and we've had Steve Wonder and we have blah blah blah. And it was like, and then there would always be some awesome, wonderful, epic kid in the room that I love, whoever you have, may have been, that was like, Mike B is the greatest. Like you got to have him. And then the promoters are like, well, we don't know who that is, but you're the hip guy that we got to say. And then they look me up online and they're like, DJ AM, Steve Aoki. Okay. That checks out. And then they hire (laughs) me. And then I would come in and I would play what I believed as a professional entertainer to be the best 
thing for me to be doing at that time in that place. Much like a man who's building a house. You're not like, don't you have different kinds of nails and hammers? Like, that's not my favorite brand of hammers. I'm like, yeah, but yes. I'm the fucking guy that you hired to build your fucking house, man. Like, right. and I'm holding the hammer now. And if I don't <laughs> nail this in, your fucking whole house is going to fall apart. You know? So it's like I'm sitting there trying to do my mix. And the guy's like, why are you playing reggae? My clientele is yelling at me. Why does my clientele hate reggae? And there are two tables just left because you played John Paul and, and this and that. And then I said to him, I said, hey, man, you had Jazzy Jeff play here last week. Uh, did you talk to him like this? And he's like, definitely. And I was like, that's fucked up. I was like, I don't <laughs> like you. And I said, look, man, I'm going to level with you. We have about an hour of the night left. I said, I'm not, this is a, this is my famous quote. I'm not the idiot who booked me is what I said to him. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, That's you called best. me, you called me and offered me thousands of dollars to do my job at your club. I showed up on time and I did exactly what I do. And I realized in that moment that I didn't love those gigs and that he wasn't wrong. Like I was playing the songs that I felt I could rock that crowd with without feeling like I had sold out and crushed my soul because I didn't want to play fucking flow rider and like whatever else was happening at that time. Like I didn't like the records and I, have never before and i will never play a song that i don't like unless it's someone's wedding and no one can see so like uh yes like if it's like you know like if if it's a situation where i i know when i'm an employee and the rate is really high and i'll do it but if i'm in hollywood and there's people i know there i'm not gonna play songs for anybody's fucking clientele because i don't give a shit so right. like so when he yelled at me i'm like look man you hounded me for weeks. We made a deal. Like I came here and played like, and I was like, but I'll tell you what, like I'm never, not only am I never going to play for you again, like I'm never going to play any of these parties again. Amazing. I was like, I'll do you. I was like, I'm going to do you that favor. Cause like, I'm sick of all you motherfuckers putting me in this position. Like this is the same people that kicked jazzy Jeff and Eric Prids and DJ Shadow off the decks in Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, because it's like you're hiring these people because they are who they are. And then you're like, why aren't you playing what the opener played? And it's like, I don't know. Just have the opener play the whole night and stop offering me fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, I had. I mean, I had yeah. a long, I had a long talk with Shecky about this because he didn't understand why Eric Prids wouldn't want to rock the crowd in vegas he's like but you're there and you got there and why wouldn't you want to just rock it and i'm like he does he does just want to rock it but you guys booked eric prince like he plays one th kind of thing and he's perfected it. And he spent the last 30 years of his life dialing in a big room house sound that is unlike any other. So, yeah, he's not going to show up and put the cha-cha slide acapella over Little John, you know, because fucking he doesn't even know what either of those things are. 
Like there's no amount of money you could pay this guy to do what you think you want him to do. It's just that some booking agent tricked you into doing this and he doesn't care if he never comes to Vegas again, same as me. So like, so he's like, he's like, I guess, but like you're there and don't you want people to be happy? And I'm like, no, because Vegas isn't people. It's not a like there is a town, but that's why when I go to Vegas, I'll play at like the beauty bar or Commonwealth or something for the locals where there is a vibe and there is a kind of people. But as soon as right. you're playing at a club in a casino, there's not two people in that room that want to hear the same song. That's why you have to play a million different songs. So like, yeah, like Jazzy Jeff isn't going to be able to establish a vibe. And when Eric Prids plays two hours of vocalist minimal techno, it, like people aren't going to order sparklers or whatever the fuck. <laughs> very well, very well said. I mean, that was a scientific breakdown of exactly all of that. And uh, the prime quote is, I'm not the idiot who booked me. And that sta- holds true to uh you know that yeah. is probably the title of well, this podcast but that that moment was important because I, yeah. I was playing after hours that night with morse code i went straight from there to after hours at the now infamous m bar and we right. played one of our first ever pool sets so 20 minutes after having that fight with i was now in an after hours on drugs playing this new cool music that i had just made myself with nat and like and other songs like it that were all brand new music from cool artists that were making mid-tempo you know cool shit and i was like yeah we're getting like a hundred dollars and drinks for this i was like but like i'm so happy to be here and like i was and it only cemented what i told and so and then i told nat the story and he was like yes dude yes and like that's why i was just like i started telling people that like like and they still don't get it like even just a couple years ago i played at lure and someone was like hey man we're doing this party on friday nights you know it's more open format and it's blah 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 but we have you know it was a fair offer and it was whatever and i was like cool here's the deal i was like we can talk about what your party is and the music that you want and i am gonna come there with a set in mind but once i start playing all i want from you is to make sure that i have waters and drinks and that my friends who are outside have gotten in like you don't say a fucking word about energy or what jean-claude van damme wants to hear or whatever else like i don't care right and like (laughs) 20 minutes in like hey man like like i was playing hotline bling like three weeks after it came out you know what i mean and he was just like yo man like this isn't really our vibe and i was like get the fuck away from me like (laughs) i was like i will turn off the music and leave like (laughs) like i don't care i don't care like the bank has already the bank statement has already hit and i told you 
Like I told you, like there's a reason I'm playing Hotline Bling at 12.15 because when I come in with whatever I was going to play after, which was going to be something twice as energetic, I was going to take his half-ass whack bottle service party and turn it from a couple girls singing along to Hotline Bling into a fucking double-fisted fuckfest. And like if he hadn't come and bothered me, I would have done that, but instead I went like totally left field and just started playing, you know, like cool new remixes I like because fuck that guy and his party. <laughs> I love Spike DJing. <laughs> You're just like it's it's like the Spike DJ store and curb. Spike. DJ Spike. <laughs> DJ. Well, because it wasn't. It's not even Spite. It's like I am here to do what I love, and I had warned right. that gentleman that I am going to do what I love no matter what. But then in this case, since I see that your party is not exactly what I love, I'm going to do the best version of it. And the, yeah. it was just it was the same problem that I had had six years before, which was that I was selling out more than I wanted to, but not enough for the crowd. So yes. nobody wins. So just don't even have me play like yes. the money's good. So, like, if you email me seven times and keep doing a higher offer, right. but then I get there and you're like, I don't like what you're doing. It's like, I'm I'm a prostitute, but I'm not a whore, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're in an escort, like, like, but you're I will, not a, on the I will, street corner. I will, I will, like, I will work for pay, but you can't just do whatever you want whenever you want like you have to there has to be some level of respect for my job you know right, what i mean right, the right. same way of you course. can't just punch a prostitute in the face you like you don't just run up and yell at a dj like you know you gotta exactly. get warned like and that's everybody, why I did, everybody compares and I did it like that. everything like <laughs> i gave them a chance you know like i was like look yeah. uh, until i start playing you can tell me as much as you want about right. what you expect this party to be. But once I start, I'm sensitive. I'm uh, not that I'm a sensitive cat, but like, I don't give a fuck about anything other than <laughs> like my friends, my family and DJ. And, and I care about it in that same way where like, if you try to fuck with it, I, my instinct is to fuck you up. You know, like <laughs> yeah. not physically, but like if you come and you're like, I'm already like 15, 20 minutes ahead of what I'm going to be doing DJing and you come and start putting ideas in my head. And then I realize that something's going into the second verse that wasn't supposed to. And that that has now thrown my next 20 minutes off course. I'm going to punch you in the stomach with my next 20 of music, not out of spite, but just because that's the, that's, what's going to make me happy is to play like, cool. I'm not even going to like, you don't like what I'm doing. I'm not going to play this next 20 minutes of incredibly well thought out web weaving and fucking mapping of the night. Like, yes. cool. I'm going to just play 10 new songs that I think are dope. Cause like, you don't give a fuck about me. Like, why should I give a fuck about you? <laughs> and also yes. the party's going to be unchanged because I've already checked my dipstick and looked to see what the party can do. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you play yeah, like yeah, the yeah. world's biggest song and people still don't turn their heads and you yeah. just know, like, 
oh, okay, like, it doesn't really matter what I do at this party, like, this is the energy level it's going to be at, unless maybe if I do that thing where I fucking have that seven song way to get all the way up here, that in 20 minutes, maybe we have something worth putting on Instagram. But like, (laughs) yes yes but if i'm just at the start of that and you come up to me and tell me that you don't like it like that that, takes two years that takes two years off my life every time i do a mix like that like you know what i mean like my heart's gonna explode when you're doing something like that so it's like you start coming up to me and like you know telling me you don't like it like I'm not going to do that for you. And I'm never going to take, this is the, you know, the first time I've ever bothered explaining it because it's none of anybody's fucking business. Right. <laughs> like it's what makes us good DJs, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, no. It, that's why it's a, it's a perfect way to explain that. Is that like, I never even fully understood why it would piss me off because yeah, I was way ahead. I knew what was happening. I had a technique, like you said, of a way to weave in and out, build people up to check the temperature of the crowd, know how to go in and out. And, and these people think you're like a magician and they're like, take your magic wand and play the Avicii song or whatever it is that they once yeah. saw people go crazy to. And you're like, it doesn't work like that that's why you're doing what you're doing and i'm doing what i'm doing so just go back (laughs) reverse quote of that same night (laughs) from to me at the end of the night rick rude usually plays about 20 minutes of dubstep do you think you could do that and i was like nah dude i was like i love rick that's my boy i'm like but like you said that's what he does (laughs) <laughs> like you, you want Rick yeah. Rude to play twenty minutes of dubstep at the end of the night? Then fucking book Rick Rude. Yeah, book Rick Rude for twenty <laughs> minutes at the end of the night. You yeah. could have done that. Like you don't book the Rolling Stones and tell them like you know uh, these people actually really like the Beatles more. So maybe if you could just play the Beatles' greatest hits and maybe some of the, uh, Paul McCartney's new shit instead of your own, um, then that it's like no, like you book the fucking Rolling Stones. Yeah, and, and that exactly. is me saying I'm as good as the Rolling Stones because Spider said so. I agree. I I vouch for that. <laughs> so we talked last night, and it was funny because we talked on the phone. I think for two hours last night, and then ended did. it by saying, "Let's not do more than ninety minutes." And of yes. course, I told you this thing can go forever, and we're definitely at least ten or twenty minutes over ninety minutes, and we didn't right. even get to talk about so many things, but um. This has been fucking unbelievable. I'm like, well, we didn't talk heaven. about so many things, but I will say that we talked about a lot of things that I have never talked about publicly that Great. I'm glad that we got to talk about because I think they're important. Me too. Uh, I think they're so important. Especially, especially about underground music. Like, I highly encourage people who are getting into edm very quickly and trying to go to festivals like i can't encourage people enough to like explore what's left of the underground and try to find music that really means something to you and try to not just fit in to what's going on because you're only going to get left behind by people that are better looking and smarter than you so just like do what you love if you can afford to and even if you can't rob and steal until you can and then try to make amends (laughs) i mean 
that that's like uh definitely a good ending to the podcast but uh i, I guess um that's great advice any any age listening take that advice that's that's yes. uh, uh, unbelievable we we didn't discuss any any mention of the pandemic and what's happened over this last year, Twitch, Good. things you have coming up, uh, all these releases on labels. You're playing festivals coming up. Uh, maybe even the, I don't know if you could talk about it, but the uh, your records being purchased by a famous rapper. Um, so many different amazing stories that could be talked about. Uh, and I your approach rap, to can... going back into the world. So all of those are things oh, I wanted to discuss. I'll, I'll give you a hot five on, on all that. Let's go. Um, all right. So as you know, as the as the, as 2020 hit, the pandemic was very confusing. And yes. before my unemployment came through, um, I uh, I was reached out to um, by our friend Jesse Marco, uh, uh, who told me that Travis Scott was interested in purchasing an OG's record collection, and did I want to sell my entire record collection? Um, Straight up. I would for a price because I yeah. looked around and I was like, I love these things, but also they're very heavy and they're, right. you know, a lot. So, um, you know, what, what is a number? I gave them a number that is what I would want for it. And it was, you know, astronomical, no pun intended. And, um, <laughs> and then I sent them pictures of my shelves and then he was like, I want those two. Travis was like, I want those two shelves with all the records in them. So two full Ikea shelves. So essentially he wanted the, my shelves, the actual shelves themselves and 3000 records. So I stuffed the shelves completely. I don't really know what was in there. We agreed on a price that was more than fair. And in less than two hours, there was movers at my house. They beat me there. I wasn't at home while I was making the deal with them. I was in my car. Wow. And when I got home, the movers were outside my house to make sure that I didn't have time to like take out the choice nugs and shit. Like yeah. I had like, they just left my house. And I just remember thinking, if something's missing that I need, uh, I'll, I have enough money now to buy it on Discogs, you know? Um, <laughs> right, plus, or you can break plus, into Travis like, Scott's plus house it, or something. It just so happened that the two shelves that he wanted were my, like, like shelves that kind of just stayed how they were. Like, in this room that, we're, that I'm in now is, like, all of my most special, precious records to me not necessarily yeah. most valuable but like the ones that i need to be able to reach all the time and yeah. the ones that were on those shelves were great records but they weren't records that i needed they were records that i had but they were records that like other people might need like they're definitely dope like he got an amazing collection at a very fair price um right and it was and it was really cool and it both at a time in the beginning you know this is in june of 2020 so as a dj you're feeling very useless and oh very broke and <laughs> yes. it was really nice to feel like travis scott knew who i was wanted something that i had and paid me handsomely for it and it was a great boost to my ego and of and my bank account at the same time, which is a wonderful double hit. 
Uh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and, and I think that that attitude kind of allowed me to do what I did during the pandemic, which was DJ very rarely, but when I did, I would play, I played one hour a month on Dirty Bird Live on Nala's TV party. And I tried to fit a month of DJing into that hour every month. And all of those sets have been some of the best sets I've ever played. And they're in an empty warehouse in downtown. And there is it, there is no crowd. And it's hard to channel. And I'm not on the mic. And I'm not talking to anyone. Like, I'm playing as though I were in a warehouse. And the first time I did it, I cried. Because I hadn't played a set like that in seven months for the first time since I started DJing. And, Crazy. And I learned that that you can bring that energy to Twitch. Like so much so that there were ones that I did where I pre-recorded a set. Like I did Nala's party live and then stayed in the same warehouse and changed my shirt and did a set for that weekend where I literally Daniel day Lewis and like became, I was like, I am now the guy who's playing at mountain magic festival on Saturday, which is a very different vibe. And I put on a different shirt and a different hat and I kind of washed my face and smoked a joint and then played like a different set with different lights that didn't air till Saturday, but that in my head, I was like, it's Saturday night and this is that set. And like, and that set got wonderful feedback from a lot of people. Um, yeah. You can see that on my YouTube, by the way, Ma uh, mountain magic festival. It's on my SoundCloud. It's on my YouTube. We're all terribly proud of me. Um, <laughs> and I think, uh, and coming up, there is a lot of really cool stuff. I have a record coming out on dirty bird, and as far as I know, the first big gig that I am going to be playing in the world is going to be May 15th in Orlando, Florida. I'm going to be playing the Dirty Bird Camp Inn with about 100 other incredible DJs of all kinds. Um, you know, obviously, Claude Von Stroke and, and, and Justin Martin and all the Dirty Bird people. And, uh, you know, our friend Gina Turner is going to be there. And... Uh, I don't know, do dozens and dozens, and Derek Carter. Right. And, I mean, it, it's amazing. So, oh, it's I unbelievable! It a, I saw the. I see it as lineup. an opportunity to go and hug all of these people that I've been on the phone with for a year, and meet some of the people that I haven't met yet, um, and all the people whose streams I've been watching. Like, I think it's going to be really exciting. I think the energy is going to be really heavy, and then I'm doing Hard Fest in July. Um, and then I think the other ones I can't announce yet, um, but I do have some other cool festival stuff going on. And then hopefully the friend bar will be open soon uh, for the Los Angeles locals. Oh yeah. You um, own one of the greatest bars in LA too. We haven't even talked about that. <laughs> I do. I am. I am an investor in the friend bar with a very uh, cool crew of people. It's me and the hundreds um, and, and Mr. Andre um, and, and, and Jared Meisler and some great people. And we're here in Silver Lake. And um, when things are, when we're allowed to be at 100%, we will open and our dance floor will rock again. And, and we'll be back, hopefully. I don't think the world can get back to normal, but I think the friend is small enough that we're going to be able to get back to where we were. I mean, we were literally open up until the last minute. Like we were open yeah. on Saturday, March 
17th like right wow. <laughs> of, of last year like like yeah, that, that was, was like 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 my friends were texting me when i was posting insta stories like why are you djing you know like <laughs> i remember that day and the yeah, vibe yeah. and all of that and seeing yeah. all that stuff online that was the time when everyone was already in their house that's incredible so it's and, very and, heavy yeah yeah and the dirty bird thing yeah. is in a month and a half at this point so that's that's pretty yeah. crazy i it's wonder what the vibe's gonna be like there i mean it's all outside i guess because it's a camp in right it is in a convention no it's a camp in it's in a convention center in orlando which is like a a hotel and and it's just florida it's no rules like i think it's just oh oh it's a camp i thought because it was camping like outside so it's camp in it's not no there is dirty bird camp out which is a camp out Oh. But this is the why very would they do first a camp. Why are they doing a camp because, in? What's the logic? Because I think you can be a little bit more on top of what people can and can't do Ooh, when you're true, when true. you're in a space. When you're in a camp out, you can't really be like, all right, nobody go in each other's tents and like whatever. Like at least in this case, you can you know encourage people not to touch the djs and like and right. people can if i freak out i can go into a hotel room and not just like a tent you know what i mean like <laughs> right right that makes sense and, and that speaks um, this one thing before we get out of here but that, that you mentioned last night was that as djs it's our job to make people go insane and all this stuff but that it, there may be a level of responsibility that djs need to assume going back out into things i have been saying this because my friends and i are mostly vaccinated at this point and we do all have access to you know i have the keys to my club um i have other friends that have keys to other clubs and without naming names i will say that we have had parties not ones that we would get canceled for but we've gone in eight or ten of us and just dj'd and like those nights we didn't have our shit together we all lost our voices and we all were crying and laughing and hugging and doing all of the things that you do when you're like finally with your friends for the first time in a year you know and i think on a global scale for people whose lives are about going to music festivals and nightclubs and 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 that is where their joy comes from and that is where their chosen families are um in the same way that you hear everyone say, well, everyone's going fucking crazy. It's because, yeah, what else are we supposed to do? Like, this is nuts. This has all been nuts. So, like, there are things within all of us that we can't control. So I'm thinking, since we do have access to these places, we can, like, if you can have little tiny parties, just start doing them. Like, you're training. You know, when people are getting you to raise money for the marathons and it's like i ran two miles today i ran three miles today i ran four miles today like start doing that start having backyard barbecues and djing for seven to eight people you'll find that it feels like you're at fucking woodstock 99 like (laughs) and like and and then limp biscuit is playing and that you're gonna set this whole goddamn place on fire because it's just so <laughs> nice to hear loud music and to get high with your friends. So, I think it's it would behoove uh, the DJ community and the promoters and 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 the and the people who are the camp counselors of this shit to make sure that their head is. Uh, that they that they got their mind right for these situations because 
kids about to be crazy as fuck, man. Like, like they, like they're not going to know how to act. And like, if we don't know how to act, like, you know, we've been doing this for years. Like the promoters are higher than the DJs and the fucking kids who are in the crowd are higher than all three of us put together. So like everyone's just, but like, if you combine that with what, we have going on inside of, of our hearts and brains right now, which we don't truly even understand. We just know that it's driving us nuts. I'm worried that there will be bad vibes. So I think it's maybe just if your thing is getting blacked out drunk or whatever you want to do drugs, whatever it may be, like I don't judge anyone for doing anything and you know, I do whatever I want. So maybe do it like after your set and celebrate a job well done and don't like pregame for two hours. Like maybe just the first couple. And then at the end of the summer, when things are okay, do whatever you want. Like far be it for me to right, tell anyone right. what to do. I could just speak for myself. I don't do streams fucked up because I am on TV and people are looking right at me and like, right. and you, and so, but I will, if I do a really good job and it goes well and I get to go home and party, you know what I mean? And yeah. then I can smoke a joint and do whatever I want. And I think I want to apply that to, to, uh, sets in at, at festivals, because if I'm on stage, not taking my shirt off, drenched in sweat and screaming nonsense into the microphone, then I will set a better tone for the people that are on the dance floor. And, and if promoters are not, you know, like running in, into your uh, trailer uh, for whatever reasons um, and bringing that energy of like, none of this matters and we're all going to be rich. Like, let's save that for like after these first few parties are a success and like, right. let's breathe through them and let's be happy that we all didn't fucking die you know, we lost a lot of really great friends of ours this year yeah, and, and yeah. amazing music, like just the music community alone. Like a friend of mine showed me a list of the musicians that died in 2020. And it was crazy because it was so many crazy. people that I loved and so many people that I grew up and idolized and a couple people that I knew very well personally. So like it was a weird, hard list to look at. And like, I think about that list and like, don't let it be for nothing. Like let's make parties better and let's play music better and let's treat our friends better. And let's not tolerate people that are doing shitty stuff. And let's not, um, you know, ingratiate ourselves to people just to advance our careers and, and let assholes take over our community because like, you know, you're at the top of your game. I'm at the top of my game. We're in our forties now. And like, we're in charge and like, no one can tell us different. And like, we can take all of this into our own hands. The same way that I watched everyone go and do streams and people like DJ Morse code in particular, um, scratch bastard Four color Zach, people who had careers where they were just trying to fit, what they were doing into a bigger puzzle who have now been in a position to just really show who they are and really do it at a hundred percent, like take that and bring that to the parties. And even if you're working for insomniac or, or, or live nation 
or any or Ticketmaster or any of these people, like let them remember that like they're the people that booked you. Not necessarily the idiots, the people. <laughs> like this was there was a choice that was made. And 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 be okay with not doing that because if you don't play those gigs and those promoters decide that they don't like you, that is just going to give you more time and more drive and a better hustle to do what it is that you're supposed to be doing, which in honestly, let's put it bluntly in many of you guys' cases, it shouldn't be DJing. <laughs> like not, that's not said to enough people. Like we are really nice to our friends that want to be DJs, but there are people that I know that have been doing it for 15 years that still suck. And it's like, man, you might be the greatest brain doctor in the world. And you're like sitting here DJing and you suck. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they really might be so, the greatest brain doctor. So, so, so to, to everyone who does deserve it and who is at the top level of the game and who who are going to get booked for big gigs, like treat treat it like you like you would treat a child. Like don't feed it garbage and don't let other people's ideas get into to, to your head like do it and do it well and do it responsibly and like care about the music. And I think that's the only way, cause who even knows what's next? Like it's going to be like yeah. whatever, whatever next, like all people have been sitting in labs, working on vaccines, trying to figure out what does what. So I can only imagine what brand new, you know, fucking spine melting designer drug is about to drop. And then like, you know, everyone's going to be so excited to run around and fucking lick that. Like there we're definitely going to like invent some kind of new STD. Like look what happened after fucking, you know, uh, discotheques. And then like, and then there's going to be, I mean, who knows, who knows what else? And then who knows if even the, I mean, like I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I got a vax because I don't want to die from COVID. I, I highly suggest everybody to get vaccinated because don't get COVID shot. for the same yeah. for the same reason that we don't have polio. Like just at a yes. certain point, a little bit of blind trust. Most of you will do anything that any stranger tells you is drugs. So just do, just go get your yeah. vaxes. Um, yes. And and once we have that, we have to just hope that it doesn't continue to spread. And I don't think things will ever be back to normal. But I think we'll be able to have fun and we'll be able to have fun together. And I just, if I'm still going to be doing it at my, but that's the thing. If I go out and play all these festivals and I don't like the vibe, like I am going to figure out something else to do because I feel bad for the class of 2020. And I feel bad for DJs who were about to play their first festival in the last summer and didn't get a chance to, you know what I mean? I've, I've talked, I have a lot of, friends like um you know like i i uh that were gonna play edc for the first time last year you know i was yeah. gonna play edc for like the fifth time last year so when it got canceled i was like that's fine but like when that's gonna be the moment that's gonna be a shifting point in your career and it gets taken and you ha and you're forced to not be selfish about it and you have to be like well the world is terrible but like it's still like upsetting and hard so like so like if I'm not having fun and they are, 
cool. Like I'm going to make way for those more of those people. Cause like at a certain point, like, yeah, like I have to quit so other people can do it. Cause if I don't become DJ Harvey or Carl Cox or fat boy slim, like I got to make money, you know? So I'll, I'll, maybe I'll finally start, maybe I'll finally start that label or something. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I think you could do whatever you want, whatever you decide to do. I think, I mean, I know I would support I, it. I, so. I thank you. You've always been a very good friend to me. Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, yes. Oh my God. Dude, this was amazing. That was probably more than five minutes, but, um, but like, I think I hit on all the points, right? You did hit on all the points. And um, yeah. And, and you know what we didn't mention is that we're recording this one day after the birthday of DJ AM. And that I know a lot of people probably expected this podcast to be a ton of DJ AM stories. We didn't even really get to discuss that. And also the connection of AM to Shecky and how Shecky got his deal. All that. One day we'll hear that. I don't know if you told. I know that you told been, a lot of stuff on Rhodes podcast. Okay. And I didn't know, and if, talked, you know. And we talked a lot about it. Um, if people want to watch the DJ AM live at Avenue, that's on yes. uh, the DJ AM Lives YouTube. And that includes uh, the interview with Kevin Scott and Gina Turner and, and Valerie Ramos and, and was, Stephen Griffin and Heifey Crunk that, that kind of, we, we did, we did talk a lot about AM and who he is and what he does. And obviously watch as I am uh, the DJ AM story. Um, and listen to the road podcast. Like it's, it's all it's, and I'm also my, uh, uh, opening set podcast with King most. If you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I've said most of yeah. what I, I mean. Obviously, and the road podcast. You, obviously, uh, you and I could share a lot of stories about AM, but you know, we'll do it. We'll do it another time. Another another um, time, and and yeah, the, on the road too. You talk about all that and the LMFAO and uh, so much amazing, <laughs> hilarious. Shout out, shit. All, shout out to all of them. Yeah, just what just before we get out, but seeing you tell the story about the genesis of LMFAO to young campers at a DJ camp was the, one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. Oh <laughs> like, my god, that was the best, man. That was so spin-off. fun. Their uh, mind was blown. Spin-off. You're like, I know Steve Aoki, and then here's a story of LMFAO, and oh my god, it was so good. That, and then watching Mixmaster Mike tell the camera i believe that- i was pushing a little bit of a similar agenda to what i'm pushing now where i was yeah you were uh, much to the camp uh director's chagrin i uh, um i i said some things to those campers that i don't know that they were ready to hear but i like to think that one of them is probably incredibly famous now we don't know who i yeah we'll find out when they tell the story on the podcast in a, in 10 years um amazing all right i don't want to keep you i know you're going to dinner you got both vaccinations so you can go see people (laughs) i'm going to my little sister's house and we're ordering chinese food i'm still adhering to the rules okay okay that's good i'm just a little bit cockier at the gas station you know what i mean i think i dj'd your sister's (laughs) wedding yeah i got yeah exactly yeah we should mention shout out to my little sister kate um yes uh, uh, DJ Spider and 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 Cosmic Dan, uh, yes. Dan T. Uh, what a lineup! What a wedding! Right? What a lineup! Um, yes. Uh, that's that's so an incredible funny. combination. I would love to see that. I mean, fuck! If I get married, I would definitely book Dan and you to play my wedding again. Is what well, that was an amazing one one two punch. 
I'm in. And then if, if you have kids, I mean, it sounds like you're ready to be a dad because you told you said perfect things, you know, don't feed them garbage and don't let other people's ideals taint their brain. I mean, there you go. I think you're ready to go. There you go. And God bless you, you and your family. Obviously you have a beautiful family. Everyone says so. Thank you. I told you you're the talk of the Valley. Everyone says you guys are the coolest, uh, the coolest parents on the block. So thank you. Growing up, never thought I would be talk of the Valley. That wasn't my goal. Uh, didn't even want to live in the Valley, but now I'm happy to accept that title. The family, uh, of the Valley, the Ventura Boulevard hangout. (laughs) So yeah, yo, thank you for everything, dude. This was incredible. This is a historical, historical, educational for thank you for giving me a platform to say those things and asking the right questions and just i'd like to say shout out to dj spider for just being one of the best djs and and just a fucking hilarious good person man like (laughs) you're a constant inspiration to me and i mean that in the realest way where i think we're we're on very different extremes of yes. kind of the same thing you know i think musically we meet in the middle and we and we love all of the same stuff and we're in this for the re- you know same reasons and i'm out here being wild and living in a three-bedroom house by myself because no one's gonna tell me what to do and when and you have managed to still have fun and be one of the coolest dudes i know and have a beautiful you know, talented, amazing wife and a, and a gorgeous kid and a great house and a, and a wonderful life. And like, you're very impressive. And like your hustle is admirable. And like, and, 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 and that you do podcasts like this where you give other DJs shine and you're always putting people on and, and, you know, you are, you are what DJs should aspire to be. So, you know, thank you for that. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I fucking I love you, man. You know what you're going to do. Oh, uh, wow, thank you. Yeah, uh, that oh. means so, honestly, it means so much to be coming from you for real. So thank you. Dude. Well, it's That's... impressive. Like, I don't do this shit because I want to. I do this shit because this is who I am. And you do yeah. that because that's who you are. And And yeah. I love to see it. Like, I'm so happy to see you being happy, you know, and, and vice yeah. versa. So, you know, it's it's beautiful, man. The best. Very beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I feel the same about you, as I said before. Um, No, you hang up. No, you hang up. (laughs) That's exactly what it's like. Me and Star Eyes on the phone. Um, So what is is the name of the podcast? (laughs) You are now on the 20 podcast, uh, you know, sponsored by Beat Source, uh, not Beat Portal or Beat Quest. Beat Quest is when Fuck. you do the acid and you go out and right. <laughs> discover no, the music. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a soundbite for you that's gonna be right before we leave, so that you okay. can use it. Let's do it. And it's the, the 20 podcast with DJ Spider on Beat Source, and uh, it's available on all platforms, as they say. I think that's some buzzword type shit, but uh, yeah, there we go. And this is the Mike B, and you're rocking heavy on the 20 podcast on Beat Source with DJ Spider. That was perfect. <laughs> DJ Spider. DJ Spider. Banging DJ all the lowlights. Oh, yeah. We did all that sound <laughs> effects. And I got so serious with my laser pointer finger that I didn't need, like I, I was doing George Bush stuff <laughs> that you it was too serious for the sound effects. Next I time know. we'll have to do it. We'll have to do an all gag reel 
you know i mean or we'll i do was it. ready meet us on endless- meet us on meet us on youtube for overtime <laughs> Yo, we need that. We we we, we got to do a Twitch show. Oh, plus you're on Twitch doing small talk every week. Go check him out on there talking. Uh, small talk, with, uh, four p.m. on Thursdays on Good TV, and uh, my own Twitch channel currently exists. So follow, subscribe, and I promise you, I'll we'll have content soon because I'm contractually bound to. So it's gonna That's happen. Great to hear. It's I love that. <laughs> And it's and it's, it's um, the Mike B on everything. T H E E M I K E B. T H E E M I K E B. That's me, not other people. I love you, Spider. And I'll. I'll <laughs> yeah, yeah, so cool. Get um, all right, Thank you, Snoop. Thank you, Snoop. We're getting out here. Uh, yeah, you know, we got to do them all. Um, yo, thank you for coming on. I got my sound effects loaded. Didn't get to use them, but uh, give Mike B some. Uh, Oh, shit. Okay, we're giving it to him. <laughs> All right, go to your dinner. Tell your sister I said hi. Thank you for coming I on will. the show. This was My great. Brother. People will listen to this in 20 years and learn. Yes. This will be in a museum, I think. And uh, yep. the Mike B, the 20 podcast. See you soon. Thank you, my dude. West side till we day. die. Peace. Peace. <laughs> All right, that was so much fun. Thank you to the Mike B for coming on the show. So many amazing quotes and hilarious things were said. I'm still laughing listening back to that. That was one of my favorite episodes. Thank you guys for tuning in. The 20 Podcast is produced by BeatSource. Join us next week for more interviews as we discuss music that matters to DJs. See you next week. Peace. And that was The 20 with DJ Spider.